Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, we have taken a couple weeks off of the Dutch Sheet series to discuss a CIC article that is titled, Carried by the Comforter, How God Leads Us. We're going to go back to Dutch Sheets today, but still reference some things that are mentioned in this article. The two really go pretty well together. And just to get us started, I'm going to share a quote from the Dutch Sheets book and then allow Bob to respond. So on page 110, he says this, Without any doubt, the greatest single key to successful intercession is learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to be all he was sent to be in us. Now he's going to go on and reference Romans 8, 26 through 28, which we'll talk about. But just to start with, do we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be what he was sent to be? Well, the Bible does talk about grieving the Spirit, but that would be through sin and rebellion and so on. Yes. And the idea that this intercessor, which we've already talked about, the intercessor is God. Yes. Okay, Jesus Christ intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Right. Okay, so if we would have unbelief, and we don't believe any of these things, that God says these things and he will do it and does do it, unbelief would be bad. But if we believe what God says, we don't have to do something special to help the Holy Spirit help us. We just need to believe the promises of God. All right. And now just to kind of state where we're going with this up front, he's eventually going to try and use Romans 8, which we just spent three episodes discussing, to claim that the Holy Spirit will actually pray through us. And so that's probably what he's meaning here about allowing him to be all he was sent to be in us. But can we even support these claims from Romans 8? Well, Romans 8, which we just spent three sessions on, if you look at it, Dutch Sheets and others of his ilk want to emphasize what we need to do to make this work. Okay. And that is the exact opposite of why Paul is writing Romans 8. All right. And if you look back in the context, the problem is that we fail and we lack assurance, but God does what we cannot do. Yes. Okay. So by throwing it more and more back on us, we're creating more doubt and more hopelessness. And Romans 8 is about what God does. Right. Now, when we were preparing for this yesterday, you mentioned the context of the end of Romans 7. Do you want to read that for us? And then we will see how Paul is setting up Romans 8. Yes, as we were finishing the the section when we did these three questions and we went through Romans 8, I thought about the objective and the subjective. Let's talk about that. 
Okay. The objective and the subjective. Yes. The subjective is what is us, our thinking, our feeling, what's internal to us. Okay. The objective is God and his promises and what he's done. All right. Now, I'm going to start here with Romans 7.21 and show that the end of Romans 7 is about the subjective. And then let's see if we can help understand Romans 8. Okay. Starting with verse 21, Romans 7. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. This is a famous statement. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, my flesh, the law of sin. Then we get to Romans 8. So let me point out, when Jessica called to talk about this, I pointed out this issue of the objective and the subjective. Okay. The, the end of Romans 7 is the inner person, the subjective, the Christian struggling, gets into a lot of condemnation feelings, which is not what Romans 8 is about. We talked about that. And there's a lament, wretched man that I am. How is this going to get better? Right. And we can all relate to that. We want to do what's right. We want to please God. And when we fumble and we fall and we're disgusted by our sin, I think every one of us at some point can relate to wretched man that I am. Okay. So that's the subjective. Yes. And the thing that's interesting about Romans 8, after we finish that section on it, in interacting with the sheets, the subjective only comes up a couple times. Okay. Talks about the mindset on the flesh, which would be when we're lost. But it says in verse 9, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. And so then it talks about these promises. So the subjective is not on the table in Romans 8, other than in verse 16, the spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are the children of God. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? The sheet says we need to help the Holy Spirit. Right. We need to allow Paul's, him to be what he was sent to be. Well, Paul says the Holy Spirit helps us. Right. It's the, the other. Holy, yes. He is our helper. We are not his helper. Right. And so if there's any way to make this more man-centered and less God-centered, the cheats and the other people who teach this uh, hyper version of pietism or more powerful version of Christianity, as however they see it, they always put things as much as possible on us. Yeah. But here the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, we are the children of God. So we're involved there. But yes. we're not telling the Holy Spirit we're the children of God. He's telling us that we are. <laughs> All right. If we're believing him, 
And then look at verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, and if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. In other words, if you do serve Christ, you will suffer being in this wicked world that's against you all the time. Okay. The only way not to suffer with him is to bail out and go serve the world. Right. We're not going to do that. So then he says the sufferings of this present time. What we talked about this, the present time is a time of suffering because the person who's filled with the Spirit, trusting God, child of God, redeemed, is living in a world that's hostile. Right. Okay. And this present time is the church age. The glory to be revealed is later. And then it says in verse 19, the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. We're looking for that future when the full redemption happens. So then as we go on, it says in verse 22, this I think will help us. Okay. Romans 8, 22. For we know the whole creation groans. Yes. The world has fallen. So who's groaning? We want to get to that. Okay. The Holy Spirit is, is comes in, into play here, and we'll show you that Dutch sheets gets it wrong. Now it says in verse 22, the whole creation, which has fallen, groans. Verse 23, and not only this, but we also, ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. There's a subject here. Okay. The world is groaning because it's fallen. And if you don't know that, you haven't read the news or watched it. Yeah. what's going on in the world. It's a mess. Okay. And it's it's wicked. And But by God's holding things together, it would fall apart. So the, the creation groans. We groan. But there's something coming good out of it. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of the body. So believers filled with the Spirit know it's supposed to be better. Okay. And knowing that, and knowing the promise of the redemption of the body, resurrection, and glorification, we long for what's not now, but we groan because we live in a wicked world. Right. This is the answer to the end of Romans 7 where it isn't just wretched man, we have hope and we have the Spirit. So verse 20, that was verse 23. And then it talks about hope, and we look forward to what God's promised. And then uh, you cited uh, Sheets saying we got to help the Holy Spirit or allow yes. him to help us. Yeah. He's already helping us. Right. What we need to do is believe the promises of God. Amen. And the promise of God isn't saying, if you would just get the secret and learn how to hear what new revelations are out there, or just speak positive things instead of negative ones, then we would be helping the Spirit, whatever they may think. Okay. But that's not what it's saying here in Romans 8. And he's right. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, and in a sense, it means one called alongside to help. Okay. But the Holy Spirit is more than than simply a helper or defense attorney. 
the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Yes. And those who are born of the Spirit are safe from legal condemnation because he's the one who's our helper. Okay. We will not be condemned along with the world. And so let's look at how he does this here. He says, I want to focus on him as a helper and intercessor. That's good that he's the intercessor is what we want to emphasize. Yes. And then he goes to Romans 8, 26 through 28. And do you want me to read that? Yes. Well, first, let's read what he says about it, because okay. he's coming from an entirely different angle than we are. Okay. So and and it's just a the brief sentence here, but he says we read in Romans eight twenty six through twenty eight that he wants to help us in our prayer lives. Now <laughs> we would agree with that, but he's going. You read it, and then we'll see what he has to say because okay. he does not mean the same thing that we mean. Okay. It says, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of god and we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose citing right the text that he cites yeah in the, in the same translation i use in the book on page 110. Yep. Now he goes on to say, and, and we talked quite a bit about this the other day, but he goes on to say, notice that verse 28 begins with the word and, which is a conjunction connecting verse 28 to verses 26 and 27, making it dependent on what is said there. In other words, all things don't work together for good in the lives of Christians unless certain conditions are met. All things can work together for our good, and God's will is for all things to work together for our good, but it isn't automatic. We have a part to play. It happens as verses 26 and 27 are being implemented. So he takes what we would say, this is the Holy Spirit, doing in us these are promises for us and he makes them contingent on us they don't work together for good in the lives of christians unless certain conditions are met obviously by us right frankly i i've got to just there's no point in me being upset but that is really bad theology yes i can't tell you how bad that theology is Right. If that's what people believe, and many do. Yep. It's no wonder some people just rail against Romans 8.28 because they don't like it. Okay. Including preachers I hear on the radio sometimes. So I'm not saying Dutch Sheets rails against them. I've heard others do it. No, this is not even helping with the problem that was introduced in Romans 7. Right. That context matters. Right. So if if the context, there's no, okay, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But if things aren't going to work out according to God's plan, or they could, if we get it right, then how exactly am I comforted? Because I'm very 
confident in my ability to not get it right. So it begins with, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We need the Holy Spirit's help because we are weak. It's not the other way around. Absolutely. And I have here printed out in the Greek, 26 through 28, and we'll be, as we do some more episodes, I'll show how this really gets uh, confused when people don't consider the author's intent. The only meaning that's binding is the one that's Paul's meaning, the Holy Spirit-inspired author. Okay. Okay. So the reader doesn't determine the meaning, the author does. All right. And scholarship helps us determine the author's meaning so we can apply it accurately in our lives. So now let's look at some of these claims here. First of all, let's go back to the idea of the groaning. Okay. I think what should stand out as we read this, the whole creation groans, verse 22. Then it says that we groan within ourselves. And now it says here, the Holy Spirit, we know that the Spirit appeals in groans. Okay. The Holy, the creation groans because of subjection to the fall. We groan because we're still in this fallen creation. The Holy Spirit intercession is in groanings unspeakable that okay. aren't in words. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, who's not fallen. Yes. The only, the creation has fallen. Even redeemed Christians are still subject to the fall. Okay. Our lives are distressed. We're not sinless. We're decaying until the resurrection. The Holy Spirit is God. He's unchangeable. Okay. He's immutable. And the Bible says, I, the Lord, change not. God doesn't change. So the Holy Spirit interceding, groaning for us is what gives us hope because he's not subject to the fall. Right. He's working and praying in us in things that we couldn't even know or can't even figure out. God has everything at his disposal to bring redeemed sinners carry us, as we said in the last three episodes, carry us all the way to glory, and everything that happens is contributing to that end as we're trusting and believing his promises. So Jesus intercedes for us, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and his groanings in in this intercession are powerful, redemptive ones, and it isn't saying we have to do our part right. or it won't work. Okay. That how, how do you get that from this text? It's just baffling. <laughs> I don't it know really how is. you can read this and get the idea that all things don't work together for good in the lives of Christians unless certain conditions are met. Right. And even what in, condition has to be met? The only one is we have to be born again. We need to be born again and not, you know, turn away from the word of God and his promises. We just need to be part of the family of God and partake of means of grace and believe his promises. 
And why would we even do that? Because God, the spirit is working so that we have a hunger for that. Yes. Okay. And the whole point is the groaning of the creation is because of sin. The groaning, even of believers, because we live in a sinful world, and we even lament the fact that we're not perfected. But the Holy Spirit is perfect. God, the, the third person of the Trinity, his groanings are redemptive on our behalf. Wow. And it says here, but the Spirit himself, and then the word for intercession here has a hooper, prefix intensive. Okay. okay. So he urgently appeals, intercedes, and groans unspeakable. Okay. Now, Dutch Sheets talks about speaking in tongues. Maybe that's what that is. Right. And we'll probably talk more about that in the next episode. But where he's ultimately going is that the Holy Spirit needs to intercede through us rather than for us. Well, it says here, let me look at this. The spirit, that's nominative, that means it's the subject, urgently intercedes. That is an active sense, active indicative. That's what he's doing. Okay. Groans is in dative. The dative would be in the sphere to or with. He groans unspeakable things that the, there's an alpha privative with the word for speak so without words okay so speaking in tongues whether whatever it may be is words yes okay these so are can't, not it words. can't even possibly mean that no it's unspeakable would be a literal translation okay. and then it goes on to say the one searching the hearts knows what the will of god is so he intercedes for us based on the will of God that he knows for every situation. He knows what we don't know. Yes. And God, the triune God of the Bible, has everything at his disposal to get us where we need to go. That's why we entitled that article, Carried by the Comforter. And by saying... We are enhancing the idea of the Holy Spirit because we're whatever, charismatic or New Apostolic Reformation or Pentecostal, whatever. The more you diminish the powerful, sovereign work of God, the Spirit, that assures us that we're not going to get something wrong and then throw a monkey wrench in what God's doing, you don't gain a more powerful doctrine of the spirit by diminishing the spirit and giving us more uh say in what how it works out or if it works out right how does that help saints and you know what i i've said this so many times i have prayed for so many elderly saints that were at the end of life visit them in the hospital over the decades that had been subject to this sort of teaching and we try to help them get out of it. But in the end, some end up thinking, what did I do wrong? Yes. And if we are assuring people in a sense that Paul is assuring people here, you won't end up in despair. You'll end up looking forward to seeing the Lord in heaven. Amen. 
All right. We only have a couple minutes left. So let's give listeners a little preview for next week because we're actually just getting to the heart of the issue here with this section of Dutch Sheets book. So, and you mentioned tongues. He's going to bring up tongues, but here's what he says. I don't believe the intercession of the Holy Spirit spoken of in these verses refers only to tongues. However, most of us in Pentecostal and charismatic circles believe it has to include this gift, which we believe allows the Holy Spirit to literally pray through us. Okay, that's significant. Then he goes on to say, it is not my intention in this book to prove this, nor am I implying that those who do not practice it are second rate in their praying. Now, I underline that in my book because as you read on, that is very much what he is saying. Yeah, but the you've disclaimers just shown us, are yeah. rather weak because when you look at the text, this is about the Holy Spirit with a prefix that intensifies it, interceding in us and for us in groanings that are redemptive groanings, not like the those of the creation that's fallen, unspeakable. Yes. Okay, so tongues may be unknown, but they're actually spoken. Right. Okay, so when we do not know how to pray as we ought, Holy Spirit's praying, interceding within us. Jesus Christ is the high priest is interceding for us at the right hand of God. And we are believing his promises. As I've said before, there's not a single imperative in all of Romans 8. Right. There's only a couple mentions of things that are subjective. But then those, as I just mentioned, were immediately were pointed to the objective. Okay. What God's doing. So I want to, if we need any help being interested in the next one, uh, let me read something at the bottom of page 111 of this book. He okay. says, have you ever felt an inability in your prayer life to produce results? Okay. Now, there is the problem. We're not even capable to know what result we're trying to produce and whether it's going to further the process of our sanctification, conformity to the image of Christ and ultimate glorification. Okay. So you focus on something you want and you don't see the result, then you got something more to learn. And so you can't judge results while you're still living in this fallen world. Yeah. The result that Romans 8 is about is the glorification of the redeemed. Right. Why would Christian preachers think that eternal glory is a cop-out? or what? I don't know what they're trying to say. Okay. We'll talk about that next week. Yeah. All right. We'll get there. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years' worth of articles, at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.